Well, hello, church. Come on, let's put our hands together real quick. Hey, uh, if you're a lady in the house and you're happy to be at church today, can I hear you say, yeah? yeah? Okay, ladies, there they are. And fellas, if you're a fella in the house and you're happy to be in church today, let me hear a little bassy, okay? All right, good to see everybody today. Uh, if you got your Bible, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and open them up. I'm going to be in a lot of chapter ones today, and uh, if you got the app on your phone, we've got a lot of notes. I'm going to be as honest as I know how to be. There is so much that God has stirred me to say in this opening week of women and Jesus. And so I need y'all to pray for me that I get done in time so the 11.15 can come in next, okay? Uh, so I, if you want to do that, I've got the notes already preloaded on the app for you. And we're going to be, and I'll be telling you the scripture so you can go ahead and put your, your you know, little note cards there. We're going we're gonna to primarily be in Luke 1. That's what we're going to get to. But on the way to Luke 1, we're going to do a little drive-by of Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1. All right, Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1. I told you, a lot of ones. And um, while you're kind of getting yourself settled and, and, uh, and, and preparing for the preach, let me say a couple of things just on the front end of this. One, I want to look at the camera and talk to my sisters for a moment. I'm so excited about this series for you. I believe there's some really special things that our Father wants to say to you and wants to, to say to our church uh, specifically, as I have been in prep and our team has been in prep, one of the things that I think is really true is that the church and Jesus gets a horrible rap when it comes to the way that women are empowered and equipped and, uh, and, and lifted up and dignified. I think that the culture would want us to believe that the church is holding women back when that's the furthest thing from the truth. And if you do a little bit of historical research and if you get into the Word of God, you're going to see a thread of dignity and affirmation and encouragement and just a lot of love coming at you from Jesus Christ and ultimately from the church that he built and bled and resurrected to build. And I think that God's got something for you there. And fellas, brothers, I think that I want you to know that the enemy would have you believe that this series is not for you. That you're just going to kind of stand in the sidelines here and just kind of, you know, let the ladies have their turn. And you'll get to the men's series next spring and it'll be your turn. And I want you to know that's not the truth either. There is so much in this that is going to help you live out a kingdom man life. Raise kingdom family, love a kingdom wife, build kingdom kids, speak to all of the women in the house of God and to build the kingdom in your, in your workplace, in your home, in your school. So do not, do not give in to just stepping away on the sidelines. And if you're a single man in this series, you're about to get the cheat codes on how to not be a single man about this time next year, okay? So fellas, I'm telling you. All right, just, just supply and demand. It's simple economics here. If you will lean into the way that God teaches you to treat women, there's a lot of ladies out there looking for a good man. Amen, ladies? And this is, you will be one of the few, the proud, okay? I'm not talking about the Marines. I'm talking about the men of God. And the men of God, we need more of them ladies out there. And if you single men will lean in over the next couple of weeks, you're going to find some things that are going to put you at the creme de la creme, okay? It ain't about your bank account. It ain't about your good looks and how much you can bench press. It's about being a kingdom man. She will fall in love with that. I'm telling you, don't miss a week of this, all right? So that's up front. Now, let me ask you a question as we begin our notes because it's one we kind of have to start from. First question I got to ask is just simply, what is your current view right now? Consciously and subconsciously, what is your view of women? Now, it's not something we often think about, but I want to ask it to you right here at the start. we got to locate where we are. What's your view of women? 
If you're a lady, what's your view of you? What's your view of the other ladies around you? What's your view of women? What are the adjectives that come to mind? What are the, what are the stereotypes that are kind of playing in the background of your life? If you're a fella, what is your view of women? What, is, what have all of us, male or female, what have, what have our mamas taught us? What have our grandmamas taught us? What have our sisters, brothers? What, what's our view of women based on pain? What's our view of women based on the church? What is our view of women? We're all coming into this conversation, and, I, and just to be honest, this is, this is an intimidating thing for a pastor to take up because every single one of us on all of our campuses, watching online, wherever you are, we all come in here carrying a backpack called our view of women. And that's just true. We've got to own that. Now, here's the second question I need to ask us is, what's God's view of women? And we're going to ask these two questions throughout the entirety of this series. What is God's view of women? How does God view them? What's his plan for them? What's his, his design? It was his design that created women, right? Praise God. It was, it was God in the garden that created male and female, not just male, male and female, to, to actually represent and magnify and reflect him in the earth. He created them. Now watch this. Your view of women and God's view of women, there's a, there's an, there's a distance. Your view of women, God's view of women, there's a distance. During this series, here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that that distance every single week gets closer and closer. And ultimately, we would all submit our view of women, our preconceived notions, our life experience, our, our stereotypes would submit them to God's view. And that we would all gain God's view of women. And that we'd walk out of this series being encouraged, and I'm telling you, I, in my prep time, our teaching team, if you guys could sit in our meetings on Wednesday and feel the enthusiasm of our teaching team, every single one of the communicators that's going to preach during this series is so pumped up and has so much to share, and you're going to be encouraged by it. But here's what I want for you. I want all of us to bring our view under God's view and walk away carrying God's view, all right? Because here's point, here's the bottom line point of this whole series, Jesus and his kingdom changes everything. Jesus and his kingdom changes everything, and, and this is what Jesus has come to do. He's not come to just give us a clearer view of, of women or a clearer view of men. He's come to give us a clearer view of the kingdom, and in so giving us a clear view, it's going to change the way we operate in our worlds, the way we treat one another, but specifically in one of the acute places that you cannot miss in Scripture is that Jesus was doing something dynamic when it came to women. He was doing something dynamic 2,000 years ago in his culture and context. We'll get to that in a little while. And he's doing something dynamic right now. Now, I've got a lot of scripture to get into, but I need you to understand where we're going. What we are talking about in this series and why it is so important, men, women, church, is because the enemy, Satan, has claimed a lot of our rightful purchased at the cross ground specific to this area. There is ground that we as the church are called to reclaim in Jesus' name in the area of women, in the dignity of women, in the empowerment of women, in the ministry of women, in the cultural norms of women. Jesus came and purchased it and resurrected, and he gives his church reclamation opportunity. And I just want us to not let Satan have any more ground that Jesus spilled his blood to purchase for us. So we're going to have to take this seriously, and this series is going to be wildly biblical. You're going to hear more Bible in this series, I bet, than a lot of series you've heard in the past. So with that being said, 
Let's jump into Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to show you why we're going to jump into it right here. Here's the deal. Here's what the author of Hebrews tells us, church, long ago. And many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. How did he speak? He spoke to us by the prophets, the law. But in these last days, he has spoken to us how? He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom he he created the world. Look at verse 3. Jesus, he, the son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So there's something for us to learn from the life, ministry, and example of Jesus Christ. God is trying to desperately get a message across to the entire world, and he wants it to be so clear that he put all of his exact nature in the God-man, Jesus Christ, and he's communicating to you and me. So there's something for us to learn there. That's not the only place you see in the New Testament. The same language is used by Paul in Colossians chapter 1. He says this in Colossians 1, 15. He talks about Jesus and he says this about Christ. He says, he, Jesus, is the image, check this out, of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, you got to just put your eyeballs on Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. It goes on to say in verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So think about that. I mean, that's kind of mind-blowing. That's like the mind-blowing emoji, right? The fullness of God, pleased to dwell in Jesus Christ. That was my best attempt at a sound effect, y'all. All right. Think about that. I don't know what the sound of the fullness of God going into the person of Jesus Christ, something like that. Right there. All right, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So here's the point I want you to write down. If we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. This is massive. This is not me giving you a fish today on a Sunday morning. This is me teaching you how to fish. If you want to know what the nature of God is like, you've wondered, is God distant? You wondered, is God loving? You want to know how God interacts in culture? How does God handle the political things? How does God handle the cultural things? How does God handle relational things? If you want to know what God is like, Put your eyeballs on Jesus. Look at him. Look at Jesus. Now, specifically and right on the nose for this series, I want to really state this. If we want to know how God views women, we look at Jesus. Jesus is our tuning fork. We we want to know how God views women, and you are going to see again and again and again in the scriptures a design feature. I believe it is a a unbelievable design feature that Jesus has so many interactions with women. I'm going to get to that in just a bit, but we are called to, here's the point, calibrate to Christ. I want you to write that down. Calibrate to Christ. Now, um, it's almost been 25 years ago, this great movie came out starring uh, Tommy Lee Jones. He's a classic. Some of you old heads in the room remember Tommy Lee. I think he's still alive. All right. I don't know about him. Tommy, if you're watching, I hope you're still doing well, brother. Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith. Anybody know what I'm talking about already at the 915 service? 1997, July 2nd, almost 25 years ago. Here come the men in black. Y'all remember it? Okay, sorry. I can't go there. Okay, okay. Sorry, that's what I had. Don't laugh too hard right here, okay? Oh, my goodness. All right. Men in black wearing their black Beautiful glasses. And there was a scene right at the start of Men in Black that I think would do us service today at this 
this uh, first service of women in Jesus, um, they, the men in black were, were this government agency. You guys will have to, people going to rent men in black all week this long. I think he's pretty clean. I don't know if you're 12 and under. You might not be able to watch this one. Okay, all right. I hope you're in kids' spring. Um, men in black. And the men in black were keeping aliens, all right, aliens, and the, the normal people, the normal folk, uh, there was, they, were the, they were the thin line between the aliens and the normal folk, okay? And they had this, this tool. It was called the neuralizer. And if you just, if you had interacted with an alien, the men in black would show up, they'd do an investigation, find out everything you know, and then they, you had all these questions, and they would, they would, they would, hey, they, I don't have a neuralizer here, I'd show you a neuralizer, I looked here like there was going to be one right here, there's not a neuralizer here today, and I'd say, hey, just look at the, just look at the flashing red light, right, and about the time you looked at the flashing red light, what happened, what happened, and what, what, what happened to your memory, you lost it, gone. A little bit of what we need right here at the start of this series is we need to have a flashing red light, men in black, neuralizer moment when it comes to women. And we need to calibrate to Christ and let him teach us again. That's the invitation. Let's let him teach us again. Let's, let's not let culture be louder than Christ. Let's not let our own feelings and emotions and pain points be louder than Christ. Let's calibrate to Christ. So let's go to the very first interaction, if you've got your scripture, that Jesus has with a woman, and it's not Christmas, y'all. We're right here at the front of October. We're already talking about Mary, okay? We're just over 80 days shopping till Christmas, but um, uh, don't get nervous now. Let's go and talk about Mary and this first interaction, and let's see if we're going to calibrate to Christ what we might be able to learn. Here's the question we're going to ask before we get to Luke chapter 1. We're going to ask this question. What is Jesus saying to us through choosing women? If we believe that God is sovereign, we believe that God has a plan, we believe that God is the architect and he's not just shooting from the hip and he's in react mode, we don't believe that. We believe that there is a design and purpose behind the architecture of the universe and namely, God has a reason that he chose Mary. God has a reason that he chose a woman to play a massive role in his redemptive story. And let's, let's look at Luke chapter 1 and see if we can't learn a few things from it. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, here's what we have. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named, whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Second time he mentions favor. You found favor with God, 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, in, in, the, uh, in the old Hebrew. Same name as Joshua. It means God will save. Jesus. You'll call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Now listen, let me pause right here for just a moment. Keep the scripture up there. This is so important. We're going to start seeing king language here. And I need you not to snap into I've, I've lived however years you are old through Christmases. And so this is all just on autopilot. You need to see that. One of the things here that is so powerful is that there's a new king and a new kingdom coming through this son of God. There's a new king and a new kingdom. He's going to sit on the throne of his father, David, 33, and he will reign. That's king language. 
He's going to reign. How's he going to do it? He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. And here it is. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Which is a really good question to ask because she had obviously been in like, you know, ninth grade biology. She wanted to know, how is this possible, okay? That's a joke. You should have laughed a bit more at that. Okay, all right. It's a, it's a, real, it's a real question, though. It's a miracle. 35, and the angel answered to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Because if she's not a virgin, he's not holy. Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. This is John the Baptist. 37, 4, listen, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So much going on, and I wish we could just keep on reading, and maybe you can later, but I I want you to understand the the, the bottom line point of what Jesus Christ is doing. He is bringing a new kingdom, New Spring Church. He's bringing a new kingdom. He's not inaugurating a new religion. He's not creating a Christian club for a Sunday morning. He's bringing a kingdom. He is going to reign, and he's going to bring this kingdom. Um, I don't know if any of you guys enjoy doing puzzles. Anybody enjoy doing puzzles out there? Okay, okay, some puzzle people. I'm not a puzzle person, but, uh, but I have kids, and so we have all kinds of puzzles. We have toy boxes, and one of the most frustrating things, mo- most frustrating things is when your kids are trying to do the puzzle, and what happens? You lose a piece. They're trying to find the piece. And I'm like, there's only 12 pieces to these kid puzzles. How do we lose the piece? You know, wait till you get to the 500 and the 1,000 and the 5,000. And some of y'all do these things. It's crazy. Uh, and you lose a piece. But can, 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 I, can I tell you something about a puzzle, though? We would think improperly in, in that the most important piece of the puzzle is the lost piece. The most important piece of the puzzle is the box on the front because that's the target you're aiming for. And when it comes to this understanding of what God is doing, I believe one of the reasons that we struggle so much trying to fit the wrong pieces in our personal theology specific to women and the church and how to operate in 2021 in South Carolina in kind of a stream of Baptist world or, wh- or whatever, wherever you come, listen to me. We, try to, we see a puzzle piece and we're trying so desperately by our feelings and our, and our lived experience to push it into, pu- listen, we need to erase everything and we need to catch the front of the box. And what we're seeing here in this first interaction with Jesus and the first woman that Jesus interacts with Mary is that God is showing us the front of the box. He's showing us his target. His target is a new kingdom. Why is that so significant? Let me back up a minute and let's get a... 40, I don't know why people always say 30,000 foot view. Let's, let's pick a new number. 50,000 foot view of what God is doing in the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1, what was he doing? He was creating a kingdom. He was creating a kingdom up here in the very beginning in Genesis 1, 2. And so you see Adam and Eve 
both of them significant because God is not just one. God is one and God is multiple. He is a triune God. And so it says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, I'm going to create them in my image, male and female, in my likeness, that I might be able to display my glory in and through them. Not any other created thing got that privilege. That is our privilege. So what we were talking about when we were talking about men and women and, and when we were talking about the kingdom man and the kingdom woman specifically, listen to me. What we are actually talking about is the reputation of the God of the Bible. So what we can miss in this is we can aim at women. And if we do that, then we'll end up landing in a ditch called feminism. But if we, like Mary, aim at God and glorifying him, you will see that you are bringing the kingdom in your femininity, sisters and brothers. As you make room for them and you honor them and you respect them, you too are bringing the kingdom of God in the way you treat women, uphold women, dignify women, honor women. You are not playing a political game from 2021. You are playing an eternal game. You are building the kingdom of God. But we got to catch a revelation of the front of the box. What is God doing? What is he doing in Christ? He's bringing a kingdom. Genesis 1, 2, and 3, he brings this beautiful image, this what, what theologians call Edenic image, it breaks and it fractures from the first garden. We know this, the problem is sin. But listen, we know when we read Revelation that he's bringing a new Jerusalem, a garden city. So in the beginning of garden, in the end of garden, and right in the middle we have a third garden. It was called the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was there in that garden where Jesus Christ was ultimately the one who gave up his, his rights, sacrificed himself, and then he would go, of course, to the cross and the resurrection too and he would inaugurate a new kingdom, a new kingdom, a new kingdom where the role of men and women was like that of Adam and Eve but better. And in the new Jerusalem in the end, you're going to see all the sons of Adam and all the daughters of Eve made right and new in Christ, bearing his image. And so that is what the end is. Listen, I'm showing you the front of the box. So when Jesus shows up in Mary's world, He's coming to bring a new kingdom. And if you hold this picture in your mind, you're going to appropriately deal with every piece of this conversation and all conversations because it's really a conversation about God. I want you to write that down. This is a conversation about God. It's a conversation about God. This conversation about women is a conversation about God. This conversation about honoring women is actually a conversation about honoring the God whose image they bear. That's what we're talking about. So lest you think we're going to go down some uh, ultra-progressive, ultra-liberal path, you are far, far mistaken, friend. We're going to be wildly biblical, I've already told you. And so what we've got to understand, when Jesus showed up, what did Mary do? She said, yes, this is so significant, I don't have points here. This was this morning with the Lord, this, this one was given to me. She said yes to carrying the word. And what does she do the very next chapter? It's called the Magnificant. It's called... The magnification. She sings a new song magnifying God. Here's what we can take from Mary. If you and I would say yes to carrying the word in our lives, the way we show it off is we magnify God in our marriage, in our college days, in our dating as a single person, in our retirement years. Mary said, yes, I will receive this word and I will magnify God. Now, that word, I don't have a lot of time here, so, uh, but I need to make this point. What does magnify mean? We all think of magnification glasses, or maybe you think of the first time in a biology class, you put a slide underneath and you 1,000 times magnified. You, you, it meant to make something bigger. Well, here's, here's a question. Can we make God bigger? Yes. 
No, we don't control how God is bigger is not. But what magnifying is, is us making God bigger in our day, in our time, in our school, in our marriage, in our city, in our subdivision, in our state, New Spring Church. And so what are we going to do? We are going to receive and carry this word of God in our lives. And when you walk out of every campus today or you get up off your couch or you stop driving the car while you're listening to this on a podcast, when you say yes to carrying the word and you go into your office or you go into your school or you go into whatever it is you're doing this week and you say yes to him, the way you say yes is you magnify him right there where you are. And that's what Mary did. And now listen, I don't have time for this, but when you start to magnify God, you're going to stand out in a culture. Because all of a sudden she had said yes to this, but that didn't mean it was going to be an easy road. Remember, she was a virgin, but she was going to be showing that she was with child. And that didn't culturally compute. But she said yes to carrying the word. And so she was willing to stand out culturally. You'll be willing to stand out culturally if you say yes to carrying the word of God. If you say yes to magnifying him as a single lady in college, you're going to not let certain guys date you. While I'm on that for a moment, if you, if you are a fella and you say yes to magnifying God in your single years, you ain't going to date sisters the way that other guys do. If you're in your marriage now and you say yes to magnifying the Lord, you're going to not speak to your wife the way maybe your grandfather spoke to his wife. Because you're going to say yes to magnifying the Lord in your home. You see, here's what I want you to write down. This is, this is the massive shift that Jesus Christ did and he does not get enough credit for it. And we're going, to, we're going to take offense at that today at New Spring Church. Jesus moved women, listen to me, from a commodity status to a co-heir status. That's what happened. You're here today and you say, I'm not even a Christian. You want to, you want to really know what Jesus did. Again, the church and Jesus has gotten a bad rap. Jesus Christ, I believe, and will quote me on this, is the most pro-women leader in human history. The most pro-women leader in human history. When these words were spoken 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Christ showed up, he showed up to a cultural context where women, listen to me, sisters, women were owned. Marriages were arranged at best. And in the Roman and Greek world where this was happening, you could literally beat or kill a woman with no law saying you couldn't because men owned women. Little girls like the two in my house, about the time that my two were their age, five and seven, they were sold. If your family didn't have means, you would sell your daughters because you had no valuation of them. They were a commodity. You would sell them. Yes, for the thing that's obvious in all of your minds, for sex, you would sell them. Women were considered, at best, a, a, a 1B person in all of status. And at worst, they were, they were just the bottom of the barrel. They were just like an oxen or a horse. And Jesus Christ shows up and into this space, he completely changes the way women are viewed forever and we don't give him enough credit we 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 give the church a black eye and, and say inappropriately the church is holding women back when again there are atheists in the world that look at what Jesus Christ has done and will say and testify Jesus changed everything for women and children specifically it's an apologetic the way we treat women and it mattered so much this is so crazy because again we read with a 2021 view on the scriptures. But these men who wrote the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these men 
every single one of them dignified and honored and held women up in high regard and high esteem, which would have been completely countercultural for their day. We miss it because we are living in America in the downstream wake of all Jesus did 2,000 years ago. But I'm inviting you to not miss what Jesus Christ did for women. He, he changed it. And he ultimately has changed it so significantly that I want to stir you up to worship him. I want to stir you up to look and see again that the church who walked out taking the lead from Jesus ended up seeing and doing very different things in their culture. Let me stay on Jesus for a moment because a couple of things I'm going to sketch out just for a few moments, if you'll allow me. Some of the places we're going to go over the next few weeks. But when you look at Jesus and you look in your own time in the Word, not only are you going to see that God did something significant with Mary right here at the beginning, you're going to see that the very first miracle Jesus Christ did, he did it because a woman, his mother, encouraged him to do it. There's a whole lot of significant firsts that women have a huge role in in the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If I want to talk to you about that big box, that, that image on the front of the, of the puzzle box, what you need to understand is the kingdom of God is what he is building, and the four gospels are those four corner pieces. And they need to have primary, primary space in our heart as we're viewing our role and view of women. As a woman or as a male trying to raise and honor and encourage women around you. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they hold up an unbelievable countercultural view of co-heir when it comes to women. Jesus, again, think about this, okay? Now, I, I, again, this is, this is so, so massive for me um, as, I've, as I've leaned into the text because we don't realize that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written so long after, not, not, not forever, but so long after the actual resurrection, they wrote it in retrospect. So it's almost like the disciples got together and they're like, mind is blown. It's like, I oh know I've made a lot of movie references today. It's like a good M. Night Shyamalan movie, okay? He's had some bad ones, but he's had some good ones. All right, give him credit. And at the end of some of his really good ones, there's like something that drops into place, like the ring in, in um, Sixth Sense that drops and it makes, oh my gosh, the whole movie makes sense. You know what I'm talking about? Same thing kind of happened in uh, that Leonardo DiCaprio movie where the, the little thimble was spinning. And you go, oh, my gosh, the whole movie makes sense. The disciples get together after Christ is resurrected, ascended to heaven, after he's commissioned with king language, authority, go, make disciples. They get together and they're talking about it all because it's all starting to make sense. And one of the things that I believe I am convicted and convinced from my own time in the word that they made sure people understood Jesus was doing was the significance of what Christ did in the lives and roles of women. The very first person, John 4, that Jesus shares that he was the Messiah with, it was a woman. It wasn't a Jewish woman. It was someone in her day who would be considered an ostracized outcast, remember? At lunchtime, out by the well. It wasn't just her. She wasn't the only first. Again, Jesus Christ would invite a couple of other sisters to be a part of his crew his inner circle, Mary and Martha. Remember the time that Martha was serving while all the disciples were sitting at the feet of Jesus? Martha comes to Christ and says, Jesus, would you speak and, and would, you, would you encourage my sister Mary to jump up and help me fill up these glasses of water and serve the food? And Jesus doesn't do that. We miss it. This is significant because what Christ has done is he has now invited her to take the actual seat. Mary has chosen the better way of a disciple. Sit at my feet, sister. This was completely rabbinical in the Jewish context, unheard of. 
Even today, if you go to Israel and you go to the, the Western Wall, one of the holiest places, the men and women are separate. They're not together. But Jesus says, come, learn at my feet, Mary. Martha, why don't you take the role your sister has taken? It's the better path. Come sit at my feet. You know the disciples, I'm sure this happened. After the craziness of the, the, the whole night in the garden where the guards come, they take Christ and they go and they try him at Caiaphas' house. We'll talk about it at Easter every year, you know. That I'm sure the disciples probably shared notes. Like, where did you go? What happened to you? Well, I was there up until, you know, Peter cut off that guy's ear and then when Jesus put it back on and everybody started, I, I was out of there, man. That was when I left. And another one's like, well, I, I hung around for a bit more and, and, you know, were you there at the end? No, 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 no. Peter was, I was there at Caiaphas' house and then I denied Jesus three times and I was ashamed and so I, I kind of left there. And all the disciples, I can assure you, shared when they exited because of the fear of man that when Jesus was taken to the cross that they were scared they might die. But all of them came to the same conclusion. Who was the last one with our Lord before he died on the cross? It was the women. Wow, that's, that seems significant. Who was the first one to see our risen Lord three days later? Was it you, John? No, I ran to the tomb because... Because my, my sister Mary had gone with some of the other women and told me it was empty. You see, it was the women. Who was the first one that Jesus told that he was the resurrection and the life? It was a woman. You see, we miss this, but it's right there in plain sight. Jesus is reclaiming ground that the culture had suppressed. They had made women a commodity. They had said, buy, sell, and use them up and, and dispose of them when you're done. And Jesus said, that is not the creation that I made. I made a male and a female to bear my image in the earth. And so one of the massive ways that Jesus Christ will bring the kingdom, even now, is he looks at you, sister, and he says, I'm going to use you. And he looks at you, brother, and says, you're going to honor me. This is why the language of Peter, as he walked away, look at 1 Peter uh, verse, verse 3 and 7. This will be my last passage of Scripture. Let's read this together. It says, likewise, husbands, don't treat your wife like the rest of the world treats your wife. What does it say? Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing what? Showing honor, honor to the woman. Look down there. Uh, since they are heirs, okay? So one of the things that the church was famous for after Christ was the way they treated women. This is why, listen to me church, this is why women in the Mediterranean flocked to the ecclesia, the gathering of the church, because they had never been treated like this. This is why the book of Acts is full of women who start coming to the people of God. They come to the church because the men treat them different and the other women treat them different. And Jesus Christ, if he has done this for me, holy cow, and he starts to bring a new kingdom. This is why today in our world, we look around the world and the, the westernized context where women are upheld and honored and not done perfect, but I'm telling you, there are people that are not even following Jesus Christ that treat women differently today day than they did back then because of what Christ did in and through the church. And this is why still today in parts of the world that we would be very unfamiliar with where women are still treated as commodities, women are the strength of the fastest growing church in both Iran and in other Middle Eastern spaces where the primary way women are treated is lesser than. Uh, we were having lunch just this last week with a friend who does a lot of ministry in that space, and he would say three out of four, 75% of the church is being built by women in Iran. Why? Because they're not treated like commodities there. The people of Christ treat them differently. The men who love Jesus treat them differently. And so the real question that we've got to ask ourselves is will we treat, date, marry, raise, speak 
differently to women right here and right now. Because Jesus Christ has done something significant. And it, it matters to us the way we operate in the church today. That we might show the world that Jesus has moved them from commodity to co-heir. He's changed everything. And it matters. Would you stand to your feet on our campuses? We're going to create a little bit of space here. Uh, I'm going to invite right now uh, our ministry teams. And if there's a pastor that's here in the room on any of our campuses that doesn't have a role, I'm going to invite them to come on down front. We're going to create a little space for ministry because here's the deal. Many of us need to ask this simple question. What is God saying to me and what what do I need to do about it? What's God saying to me right now and what do I need to do about it? Maybe perhaps it's, you know, let me just get real practical. If I had heard this message when I was 20, I can tell you what it meant to me. It would mean I need to date differently than maybe perhaps I've been dating. I need to look at the internet differently than the way I've been looking at it. Uh, I need to speak differently. Maybe you're a lady in the room and maybe you, you need to just walk in the space where you have felt like a commodity. Maybe you're coming out of a tough relationship or maybe the way that people around you have spoken to you has made you feel lesser than. Maybe you need to... You need to respond and come receive some encouragement and some prayer and begin to walk out in that identity as co-heir with Christ. And this ministry time is for you. Here in just a bit on all of our campuses, we're going to take communion. We're going to all come to Christ. But before we take communion right now, we're going to have a chance to examine our own hearts and see, have I been speaking the right way to women around me? Have Have I, ladies, sisters, have I been seeing myself one way in Christ, but I've not been treating sisters at work or as I speak about them in my group text or wherever I am. Have I been, have I been extending that same co-heir identity to sisters? In my marriage, am I speaking to my wife like a commodity or am I, am I setting her up like a co-heir, honoring her and respecting her? Wherever we are, let's take a moment. And I specifically want to invite ladies, if you know that God wants to do something significant in you in these days, I want to invite you to not stay in your seat, but to come and and let someone lay hands and pray over you in this ministry time and encourage you. Because, like I said at the very beginning, if you don't walk in the identity that Christ purchased for you, we give the enemy ground that Jesus bought at the cross. And we don't want that. We want you walking in that dignified, God-honoring, magnifying identity of co-heir. So come and get encouragement today. Let someone pray over you, and, and, and as you come to the table, the Lord's table, be reminded of who he says you are. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your church. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come now and fill up the room again. You've been speaking to our hearts now, Lord. Let us not be hearers of the word, but let us activate what we've, what we've heard today. That you changed everything, Jesus Christ. And so that we would, one, if we're a lady, see ourselves rightly. But if we're a man in the room, that we would treat women appropriately. So God, change our habits, change our, our words, change our attitudes, change the way we, we ultimately um, build the church and build the kingdom in the state of South Carolina. And Lord, I pray that if in a thousand years you've not come back, people would see that your witness specifically in the area of the identity of women would be upheld and pristine and precious in the state of South Carolina. That we would not just open doors and yes, ma'am, because of a good southern hospitality. No, we would do it because we had a good Savior 2,000 years ago who changed it all. (laughs) So bless your church in Christ's name now. Amen. Come now.